Well, I very much appreciate your prayers for me this week, and I know the elders always say that, but it really is true that without God's grace, we would not have any reason to meet. And so I'm so thankful for the Lord that's working in our lives. We turn to a um, little pointed passage today and just ask that God would grant us humility to examine ourselves and and uh, think about ourselves as we read through the scriptures here. And we've been studying Paul's final instructions to Timothy in this book. And as the apostles were passing away off the scene, this next generation of leaders was coming up. And Timothy was the leader of this church in Ephesus. And if I were in Timothy's shoes and had someone like the apostle Paul mentoring me, I think I might be a little nervous if Paul told me my time has come to pass away, the church is now your responsibility to lead and I won't be here to help you anymore. What will happen to the church when the next generation of leadership takes over when these apostles pass away? Timothy and the people may have doubted, but God never had any doubt about his plan for the church. And in chapter 1 verse 8, Paul started out by inviting Timothy to participate and the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And that's just a great encouragement for us in our lives, in our service to our Lord. And we remember how the previous chapter ended. In chapter 2, avoid quarrels, avoid strife, be gentle to all, instruct those around you in meekness. But Timothy, this is going to be very hard to do because these are the kind of people that are in the church. And ever since sin entered in the world, people have set themselves up in competition with God. And ever since God made man in his own image, people have tried to return the favor by trying to recreate God in man's image. And this list of evil behavior that we have in this chapter is similar to Romans 1 and Galatians 5 and makes for what can be some depressing reading. But Paul has been very fairly straightforward in this last book, that he wrote that has been preserved for us. In summary of this passage, I want to quote from Matthew Henry. <clears throat> Matthew Henry says of this passage, quote, even in gospel times, there would be perilous times on account of persecution from without, still more on account of corruptions within. Men love to gratify their own lusts more than to please God and do their duty. When every man is eager for what he can get and anxious to keep what he has, that makes men dangerous to one another. When men do not fear, they will not regard man. End quote. When we are eager for what we can, be, can get, we become dangerous to each other. So let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word now and you give us instruction, grant us the humility to examine ourselves, to look at ourselves and not the person next to us, that we would ha be renewed in our desire to pursue holiness, to seek you. Thank you for your grace that's at work in our lives. Thank you for your word and this letter that Paul wrote. Grant us the grace to understand your message to us. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to start here. In the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to call this the wicked. 
2 Timothy 3, picking up in verse 1. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. He begins here with the words in the last days. Is Paul instructing Timothy about a future event? And is he referring to days that Timothy will never experience himself? Well, clearly not. Look at the end of verse 5. Avoid such people. This book has been instruction to Timothy about shepherding the church there at Ephesus. What would be the point of warning Timothy about some future event that he would never experience? This is referring to the last days in general that began with Christ and end with his return, as in other passages of Acts 2.19, at the day of Pentecost when Peter preached in the last days, God would pour out his spirit. In Hebrews 1, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. These last days will impact Timothy in his lifetime, in his ministry there at Ephesus, and it's expected that Timothy's effort to lead this church will have challenges. What follows after these last days? Perilous times, or the ESV, difficult. Timothy faces times that are described as difficult or perilous. This is an interesting word. It's a Greek word that only occurs twice in the New Testament. Once here, and once in an event when Jesus encountered a wicked man in Matthew 8:28 in the country of the Gergesenes, possessed by devils coming out of the tombs. They were described as exceedingly fierce, so that no man could, ca- could pass by that way. Sounds like a rough time. Paul then describes for us how these difficulties will come in verse 2 with the word for. The word for assigns a reason for these perilous times. For men. The ESV uses the word for people. People are your problem. Timothy, people will be the source of your problems. It's not the circumstances. It's not the external pressures outside the church but the characteristics of people in the church that he describes. Now look at how verse 2 starts. For people will be lovers of self. And look how verse 4 ends. Rather than lovers of God. And then look how verse 5 ends. From such turn away, or the ESV, avoid such people. Wicked people in the church are your problem. And as Acts 20 tells us, and we will come back to Acts 20 in a little bit. So beginning in verses 2 through 4 comes the description of people who love themselves rather than loving God. When people overthrow their creator and reject God in an attempt to set themselves up as boss and master their own lives, sinful things happen as described in these verses. Either we love ourselves, love money, love pleasures, or we love God. 
And Paul is setting up the love of self as the essence of rebellion against God. When people reject God in their lives, what replaces God? Self. In our time of prosperity, society is trying to tell us that we do not love ourselves enough and we need to look inside of ourselves to find love instead of looking to God to understand love. What society would tell us is the answer to our problems is that we don't love ourselves enough. What the Bible tells us is that when we love ourselves more than God, that is sin. Remember, what is the first great commandment? To love God. And the second commandment is like into it. To love our neighbor as ourselves. And as our culture attempts to tell us that love begins with loving ourselves, God has a different definition of love. In fact, God has demonstrated for us how we should love. Let this mind be in you, Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Our eternal life is entirely dependent upon the sacrifice of love and humility of our Lord. Let this mind be in you. We should never think only of ourselves. Never only love ourselves. Don't put others first. But we should love our, our, our God. Love what he has done to secure our salvation. Love his example of humility. Love others first. Love God's truth. See our own faults before we see the faults of others. Continuing in Philippians 2.9. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father. Some other verses we should bring into this thought about the love that began with God. John 15.12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 John 4.10. This is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us. And sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Second John 1.6 And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. Remember our Lord. He loved his father, obeyed him unto death. He didn't love his own life, but freely gave it up for us. What a tremendous God we have in his example. Now notice the words that come next. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, boasting in our own accomplishments. The ESV uses the words lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. A person that loves himself is bragging on material things, his appearance, bragging about what he can do. He's arrogant, satisfied with himself, and has high self-esteem. He's a blasphemer who doesn't care who he insults. He feels the urge to express himself, doesn't care who he hurts. Self-love is the 
source of so much evil. There is so much boasting, especially in social media. Do whatever it takes to establish your dominance. Love of self and the resulting behavior. Now look at 1 Corinthians 13.5. Love does not insist upon its own way. Love does not boast. What does this passage say? These people are boasters, proud, blasphemers. 1 Corinthians 13, put that next to it. Love does not boast. Love does not envy. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love is not irritable. Love is not easily provoked. Love bears all things. How do we respond to perilous times? With humility and the fear of the Lord, our riches and honor of life, Proverbs tell us. God says that the danger comes when people love self. They will love their money. They will love the things money can buy, bragging on their accomplishments. The other thing that pride does is it makes us unteachable. It makes us difficult to approach. What happens to these prideful people? They become blasphemers. A blasphemer is a person that thinks they know more than God does. They know more than the people that God has put in authority of them, over them. When a prideful person thinks they know more than God, they will then become disobedient to God's institution of the family, their parents. These rebellious people don't have any regard for God's authority in their life or for parental authority in their life. They don't want God or their parents telling them what to do. Interestingly enough, in, uh, a couple years ago in 2020, there was an article from a Harvard professor expressing concern during the recent pandemic because there were many parents who started homeschooling their children and this professor was trying to make the case that homeschooling is dangerous because it's dangerous to, for children to be under their parental authority without government supervision. It is dangerous for parents to take responsibility for their children. And that is the lie of culture. For further study on this topic of parental authority, I recommend to you the video we saw last Wednesday night, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, number two, the whole session about uh, parental authority and God's plan for the family in that, in that area. In verse 2, <clears throat> what comes after parents? Ungrateful, unthankful. God says the difficulty comes when children are not grateful for what their parents have done for them. They have no appreciation for God's grace, for God's institution of the family, and there's a reluctance to acknowledge that everything we have is because of God and to give him glory. Doesn't that seem harsh to put obedience to parents in the same list as immorality and haters of God, inventors of evil things? This is God's list of sin. And a, and a child's obedience to parents demonstrates their obedience to God. The way that I demonstrate my obedience as a child of the king, as a child of God, and the, is the same way that I honor my parents. Romans 1, 18-32 describes the wrath of God against ungodliness and unrighteousness and details how God gave them up to evil. In verses 30 and 31, there is a list of sins. 
and the, the, the grouping here is just really interesting. Beginning in Romans 1.30. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And I find it interesting that God puts haters of God and disobedient in the same list. And this described behavior is described as foolish. We see from this list what God thinks of people who despise the family unit. Since they're covetous, there's an attitude of entitlement. Things are owed to them, and they don't have to earn what they want. Let me ask the obvious question as we look at this passage. How's your relationship with your parents right now? Have you pushed them out of your life? Do we covet better than what God has currently provided? We should all realize, if you're a parent, we realize we are not perfect. And as a child, I realize I wasn't very perfect either. Only our God is perfect. And he has forgiven us all of our sin. May we grant each other the kind of forgiveness that God has granted to us. These last two words, unthankful, unholy. Ungrateful and unholy, the qualities that go together. Lack of thankfulness for the mercies of God that he shows us each day. Gratitude to parents, gratitude to God. How do we show gratitude or do we complain? How have we shown gratitude to our God for his mercy and grace? Well, one way we do that is our pursuit of holiness. Moving on to verse 3. Without natural affection. The ESV uses the word heartless. The complete breakdown of human affection and disintegration of the family, which is the breakdown of society. There is no one on this earth that this person loves more than himself. As we think about loving self, we ought to ask ourselves the question, what do we do to entertain ourselves? What do we do with our spare time? What do we consume in this world? Do our consumption choices please our Lord? There's a couple verses. I know many of you have committed them to memory. And I just want to refresh our memory on this. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. These people are slanderous, false accusers, saying whatever is needed to make them look superior to others. Without self-control, whatever they feel like doing, they do it. Whatever they crave or whatever their emotions desire, they do it. doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. That isn't the issue. The issue is that I feel like doing it and I'm going to do it. And these dangerous people are brutal. They hate good and love darkness because their deeds are evil. They hate the standards of good and evil presented to us in God's word. Verse 4 goes on to add more. Traitors, heady, hide-minded, or the ESV, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. These people say negative things so that they will appear superior to others. Malicious gossips, 
This person doesn't care what is said as long as they look superior. Say whatever is needed to gain the advantage over other people. Since they were treacherous, they will slander anyone in their way. And this is descriptive of the culture of victimhood. It's not my problem. He did it. And the ever popular, the devil made me do it. Where did victimhood originate from? The Garden of Eden. You know the story in Genesis 3.12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam says, it wasn't me. My wife gave it to me. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It wasn't me. The devil made me do it. Because of our sin nature, we are always looking for excuses that my sin is not my fault. And we do so by slandering others and blaming others for our problems. In fact, Adam said, my problems are because of you, God. You gave me my wife. These are not my problems. I'm the victim of those around me. Of course we love victimhood because it relieves us of responsibility. People have asked me many times as an elder here at the church, what's the biggest problem in the church? The answer is the same. It's me. I am my biggest problem. By nature, we want to be in charge and in control, and we want everyone to love us the way we want to be loved. But unfortunately, we all know way too well what it means to be proud and conceited. Paul is not pointing to the decaying society outside the church. He is pointing to the people in the local church, the false teachers. And the thought at the end of verse 4 and continuing to 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Paul is talking about the church in Ephesus and the people in it. Let's look at Acts 20, picking up in verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing, will grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Timothy, it will start with the people that are among you. They will raise doubt and questions in those that are weak. Now if we go back to the parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 13 <clears throat> about the wheat and the tares, we should expect that any time God's truth is planted, the enemy will try to steal away what has been planted, and if it can't be stole away, then the enemy will plant the tares in an effort to distract, distort God's truth to try to make it ineffective. Just as parents are to watch over the children to protect them from evil influence, so church leaders are to protect the spiritual children in their care in the local church because the same thing that happened here in Ephesus can happen right here in Wichita. Look at the history of Israel after they left Egypt. It wasn't the Egyptian arm, army that caused their 40 years of wandering in the desert. It was the complaining of the people the lack of gratitude for what God had done, the lack of faith in the power of God. It was the internal failure of Israel, not their enemies. What are we to do with such people? Look at verse, how verse 5 ends. 
from such turn away. Avoid such people. Avoid prideful, destructive people. And this is not a new teaching. It was repeated many times that we should guard who influences our lives. Look at Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Second Timothy 3.6 Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. Acts 19.9 But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew for them and took the disciples with them. And you all know Psalms 1, just a great challenge to pursue, pursue our Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit, sits in the seat of the scoffers. Don't let treacherous people influence you into thinking good is evil and evil is good. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Righteous living is corrupted by bad company. Be careful who you choose as your friends. Same is also true. Contrary to the list of sin, there's just so many wonderful Christian families that enjoy being together. So many families that are wonderful examples of God's grace at work. Shouldn't go around with a chip on our shoulder, but just rejoice in God's grace. Move on now to verses 6 and 7. From, we move from the wicked to the weak. Picking up in verse 6. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and leave Captive, silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as parents are to watch out for the care of their children and guard against tempting influences that can overcome immature children, Timothy, you're to watch out for the spiritual care of God's children in God's church there at Ephesus. Timothy, I'm going away. And you need to make sure that you're not naive, that there are men who are grievous wolves who would like to devour God's precious flock. The real threat in this church in Ephesus wasn't the Roman Emperor Nero that was martyring Christians or other external pressures. The real threat was internal. The loss of love for our Lord. Doctrinal decline in leadership. Paul is careful to remind Timothy of any particular people that were working against him. Go back to this book, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 15. You are all aware that in Asia, all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes. Chapter 2, verse 17. Their talk will spread like gangrene, among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Chapter 4, verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. And now we find out the strategies of these treacherous people. These people have a particular target in mind, weak women. The King James uses the word silly women, which is the old English word for weak. 
This is not a statement about what Paul thinks about women, but instruction to be exemplary in how Timothy cares for the women in his church. As he wrote back in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Treat the older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. Paul's not saying that women are inferior, but that a few women can be weak and vulnerable because they're weighed down with sin, various passions, and get lost in the search for truth. As you exercise pastoral care over the people of the church, be careful of temptation as you encourage those who are weak. Be vigilant in the church because there are people who love themselves and will seek to lead astray weak women. They have a completely different agenda than you do in the church and they will specifically target weak women. Notice that these people creep into houses which makes them creeps. Creeps are people that are obnoxious and they come in person or we can invite them in through the internet. In the previous chapter, Paul told us the doorway to knowing the truth, to acknowledging the truth. If you look at, turn back at chapter 2, verse 25. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Repentance, the key to acknowledging the truth. And the approach of these treacherous people is similar to that of Janus and Jambres. So let's look now at verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> we started with the weak. I'm sorry, we started with the wicked, then the weak. But we're going to turn to a positive note as we have a sovereign Lord. So picking up in verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do... These also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further after their folly shall be manifest unto all people, as theirs also was. Just as Janus and Jambres, who are these people? If you search the scripture, you will not find them anywhere. Jewish history tells us that they are the men in Exodus chapter 7 verse 11 the two Egyptian magicians that withstood Moses there in Pharaoh's court. Exodus 7.11, when Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers, that's Janus and Jambres, the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Just as Moses was withstood by Janus and Jambres, and you have seen people of corrupt mind stand against Paul, Timothy, your turn is next. We don't have to make up a conspiracy theory. We know that Moses was a tremendous prophet of God and these frauds opposed him. Paul was an apostle of our Lord and yet he was opposed by many people. Timothy, you're the pastor of this local church at Ephesus and you're going to be opposed as well. Paul calls it like it is when he says these men oppose the truth. But they do it in a subtle way, looking for those who are weak. You remember the story in Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas went to the island of Paphos, and the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, summoned Barnabas and Saul to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, opposed them. And why were they opposed? Though they were seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
Paul looked intently at him and challenged him. Listen, uh, this is just incredible. Paul's challenge to this Elamus, the magician who opposed them in Acts 13.10. I don't know if I would be this bold. Acts 13.10, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? And that is what Paul is instructing Timothy. Keep straight the path of the Lord, straight in truth, straight in sincerity. While these people are corrupted in their minds and disqualified regarding the faith, that is why the remainder of this chapter is so important because it defends God's word as a standard of truth. This passage today is a warm-up for what comes in the second half. Why do we believe what we believe about God's truth and God's church? Because that is what God's word says. Verse 9, But they shall proceed no further. Timothy, remember this. God is not irritated or surprised by counterfeits. God will build his church. How do we handle these wicked men? How do we care for these weak women? By trusting in the care and provision of our sovereign Lord. In John chapter 4, there was a woman who had needs, and Jesus met with her. And she apparently was always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But she recognized the truth of God when Jesus talked to her. And she was as needy as any of us. And she found the truth of God. Where did she find her answers for her burden life? In the person of Jesus Christ. There are so many things that would distract us in this world. But God's truth is found in God's word and in the person of Jesus Christ. May each of us call on our Lord in humility, be empty of self, and grow in our love for our Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your challenge to us to seek you, to love you, to come to the knowledge of the truth through repentance. Thank you for your care for us. Grant us the grace to not be proud but humble. To love you above all else. In Christ's name, amen.